Hey, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher. I own Mindful Counseling in Orem, Utah, and I'm on a mission to break down mental health stigma. Therapy Thoughts is a podcast all about helping you love yourself and make peace with your mind, body, and food. I'll share some education, tips, interviews, and tools from my clinical experience so you can improve your mental health. Stay tuned as we change the mental health game and talk all about therapy. What's up, my Therapy Thoughts tribe? We have arrived. This is episode 10. I'm super stoked to be here. I've wanted to wait to talk about eating disorders until it was a celebratory episode. And I feel like episode 10 is a great time to start breaking down my passion, my calling, uh, my research, my interest, all about eating disorders and the spectrum that is, you know, relationship with food, body image, weight concerns. So we're going to start talking about that. Uh, it would be impossible for me to hit this topic at all angles in under 30 minutes because I try to keep these quick, right? But I will introduce you to the topic today. I'll try to give you some uh, realistic ways that you can talk to loved ones about eating disorders, as well as some warning signs you can look for if you, you know, are concerned about someone in your life having an eating disorder. Let's plan on doing a series. Over time, I'll hit different aspects of this topic. Um, I'm not going to break down every single eating disorder today. I'm not going to go into recovery or tips for, you know, healing or treatment. Um, but over time, we'll hit that kind of stuff. Today is just an intro. And let me tell you about me and why this is my jam. In 2006, I got into therapy to get in recovery from my own struggle with a couple eating disorders. Uh, when I was 19, I developed anorexia out of a diet. Um, I went on a diet to lose some weight. I was planning on moving away to college in Hawaii, and I felt some pressure. I thought, hey, man, I better shed some pounds. I want to fit in. Um, you know, you know the spiel, guys. So started a diet. I don't know. It, I don't think that it was anything specific. It was just restricting. And a couple things happened. I developed mono which actually the research now points to some correlation between mononucleosis, the virus, and eating disorder development. Um, I developed that, which made it hard for me to eat, so I lost additional weight. And then I actually had someone in my life kind of introduce me to the idea of purging to even get quicker results. Um, in the eating disorder world, we refer to purging as a way of, you know, vomiting, um, getting rid of any food intake you have. But actually, you may never purge and can still have an eating disorder. Um, I think that's a myth of like, hey, only people who binge and purge have bulimia, right? Um, but just a quick educational point on that, you may have never purged in your life but could still have that eating disorder um, if you're really trying to compensate for calories in other ways, even if you're not purging, uh, that would still be bulimia. So I developed anorexia, I developed bulimia eventually after that, and that was kind of the perfect storm and domino effect. And so what I found as someone who has lived with an eating disorder um, is that, yes, it gave me control. I didn't have to deal with shame or fear or perfectionism in those moments. I could redirect 
my attention to, hey, I'm just going to have a perfect body or I'm just going to restrict calories. And if I can, you know, not eat a certain food group, I'm going to be okay. That'll give me control. I'll feel powerful. I'll feel safe. I'll feel lovable. And, you know, that doesn't work. It all crumbled. And I have uh, developed kind of an, an approach with all of my clients. I say, hey, come up with a word that describes your eating disorder. Like when it's been real bad and you're rock bottom, what's the word that describes that? And the reason I do that is because that helped me in my recovery. Um, I, uh, I use the word suffering. It was suffering and it was obsession. And those two things, you know, broke me down. So in 2006, kind of hit my rock bottom. I was really unable to work or function in relationships, you know, in the employment world and in school because of my eating disorder. It got so severe. So I relinquished control. I surrendered and I said, I need help. Kind of threw myself under the bus, told my parents. And thank goodness they got me into treatment. So great part of the story is it worked. Um, It worked for me. I got into therapy. And one of the very first things I did was I said, hey, I'm not going to diet again. No more dieting because that's where it started. And I very quickly understood the connection between my diet and the eating disorder world. Now, this is before I was researching or had the clinical background I did, but I'm really, really got to give, you know, early 20 something me some props. She was onto something. She was right that the dieting was a big risk factor and continues to be a big risk factor for eating disorders. So one in four dieters will develop a full-blown eating disorder. And here is why that's concerning to me. If you were to break down the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the fifth edition, this is kind of our diagnosis Bible here in the clinical mental health world. If you were to break that down, the disorder that will kill more people than anything else, it has the highest mortality rate, uh, close to 20% is anorexia. Now, I think if you think about that and compare mental illnesses to each other, there's a lot of focus on, you know, depression and the rates of suicide and the losses that we deal with with such a uh, chronic debilitating mental illness. We are looking at similar rates with eating disorders, but even higher. There's a high mortality rate and it's due to physical problems, emotional problems, suicide, that are all complications of this disease. So dieting is often treated as a very normal thing. We live in a diet culture. Um, Most of us have picked up on this message. Hey, we should be dieting. We should be restricting food and losing weight. That's health, right? So I'm just here to point out this this dieting trend is very dangerous uh, because if that perfect storm hits you, if those neurons kind of start firing in a way and you have a genetic predisposition and the environmental cues are there, it can lead to you developing a very life-threatening illness. Um, That's what happened for me. I am now fully recovered. I've been fully recovered for 12 years. And what that means is I have no symptoms of that diagnosis. Um, And that's my goal here is to educate you, to educate my clients, to educate you know, the folks who follow me on social media, the people who take my online courses. I want to empower you to one, ditch diet culture because the risk is too high. It's it's definitely far too high for me. I'm not interested in suffering and obsession. And I want to empower you to 
uh, know that you have that same option. You can prevent that. You can avoid that. And you can recover if you're already, you know, a victim. So that's how I arrived here. A little self-disclosure for you because I do really want to preach full recovery as possible. You don't have to live in that suffering and obsession, my friends. I personally know that. Um, And I've helped a lot of people get there in the counseling office. So one in four dieters will progress to an eating disorder. Um, In the U.S., about 20 million women and about 10 million men suffer from an eating disorder at some time in their life. So I hope you recognize that 10 million men statistic. This is not a women's disease. And I use the the word disease intentionally. Um, This is a disease that is no respecter of person, culture. This isn't an American disease. It's not a Western disease. It's not a female disease. Um, This can affect anyone, regardless of race or belief system. Uh, And like I've said, anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness. And something that's really discouraging is eating disorders. They receive less than $1 in research money per affected person compared to the average of $70 for every other major mental health disease. So when you compare that, we're getting $1 per affected person compared to every other disease in the DSM getting 70 bucks a person. Yet, anorexia has the highest mortality rate. And I think, one, eating disorders are highly stigmatized. This isn't my opinion. Surveys and research back this up. Um, We often blame the person and say, this is your fault. Um, So there's stigma there. We say, just stop it. Just eat. Just gain weight. Just lose weight. Whatever that may be. And so that stigma and the ignorance, the lack of education. No one knows this. No one knows that eating disorders have the highest death rate. And they also don't know that we get some... uh, We get very, very low support research money-wise. So here's the education. Here's, Here's... combating that stigma. Often when someone says, no, it's a choice, just stop it. Um, It's your fault you have this disorder. I hear the same type of things with substance abuse. And all I could say is if that was the case, far more of us would have it and far more of us wouldn't have it. Like those of us suffering from eating disorders do not want that obsession and suffering. Um, Sure, maybe we developed a diet, but we did not form the neural pathways in our brain that make the craving and fixation and obsession intolerable. That doesn't happen in someone without the disease. It's literally rewiring your brain. And it looks very obsessive compulsive in that way that there's a lot of anxiety and control and beliefs and emotional reactions tied into this. It's not simply a choice to engage. I just ask people to reflect on, hey, consider what it would take for you to binge on X amount of calories and then purge. Would that be something you would ever do? And most people say no, right? But those of us with an eating disorder would would say, well, that makes sense to me because it's a disease and it's a disease in our mind. It's very multifaceted. It's biological, environmental, social, spiritual. Um, it's, so it's not a choice. And I hate how we try to simplify that. It just perpetuates stigma. It's ignorant. I mean, I'll do respect to anyone who buys into that. It's just ignorance. It's lack of exposure. It's lack of understanding. And so if we want, if we want better recovery... And we want to prevent these deadly illnesses. 
We just need to, we, we need to be woke. We got to wake up and realize this is not as simple as saying, hey, knock it off. Um, let me tell you about a couple features of eating disorders. So there's three things we look at when we talk about eating disorder features. One is weight concerns. Two is body dissatisfaction. And three is eating problems. And I really appreciate this because this is the approach I take. I'm not only looking to treat anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. Um, I'm not even just trying to treat orthorexia. We, which I'll break those all down. So if, if you have questions about those, we'll go into that in another podcast episode, okay? But when you look at the features of an eating disorder, think about yourself, whether you have any experience with an eating disorder or not. Weight concerns, body dissatisfaction, and eating problems. We all have those to a degree. And that is what mental illness is all about, is we all have symptoms and features. It just differs in the severity and the degree to which we have them. So I look at all of these as a spectrum. And I try to really treat this as a clinician and say, hey, it doesn't matter if you have the full-blown diagnosis. If this is causing distress in your life, it falls on the spectrum and you deserve relief. You deserve treatment. You deserve freedom. So if you're weight concerns, here's what that's going to look like on the spectrum. You, you have negative rumination about your weight. Do you think about your weight a lot? Do you feel bad about your weight a lot? Are you thinking about wanting to lose weight all of the time? I think all, I don't mean to use a word that is all-encompassing, but all people have that because of diet culture. Maybe some don't. But the reality is we live in a culture that says, hey, be smaller, lose weight. And it values that at any cost. So that negative rumination is very common and it is a major feature of an eating disorder. Another form of weight concern would be vigorous exercise. Uh, Exercising to the point where you ignore injury, illness, maybe you really are tired and you need rest, yet you feel this expectation of this like perfectionistic standard and you feel safety and control in the exercise that's that's causing you distress and a drive for thinness Uh, again diet culture perpetuates these issues and again this is the spectrum of an eating disorder so so many of us would say well that's normal this is good right well i would argue that i'd say at what point is it normal At what point is it a mild, moderate, severe, and then disordered impact in your life? Um, And that's what we always do when we talk about mental illness, is at what point does it cross that line? And what are the risk factors for you personally? Uh, The other feature, body dissatisfaction. Again, dude, it is so hard to live in diet culture and to be satisfied with the body you have. And... This is one reason why dieting is such a risk factor for an eating disorder. Um, Because, I mean, man, we really normalize these things, right? You should care about your weight. And you should be dissatisfied with your body. It's weird to like your body. And I'm really here to fight that. I'm really here to say your weight doesn't determine your worth. Your body, you can be satisfied with your body at any body. So, body dissatisfaction. Do you have distress about your body? Do you overinvest in it? How much money do you pour into trying to change it? Do you avoid 
situations because of your body? Do you refuse to wear a swimsuit or go to public events or be seen by family? Or are you terrified of the pictures at a wedding? What sucks is so much of what I'm describing. I would say, man, this is super disordered. And this type of distress of distress is a mental illness. And yet it has become so normalized in diet culture that I think most of us just ignore it and think of it as, hey, this is just how it is. So I'm here to tell you that's not the case. This is stuff that you could be concerned about and you can be free of. The third feature of an eating disorder is eating problems. So restriction is the main the main problem. Restriction is the biggest problem of all. If you are restricting, it's going to set you up for all kinds of eating, eating problems. What I mean by restriction is cutting out food groups, cutting calories, uh, counting obsessively. And again, diet culture, you guys, is so in our face. It says, well, this is normal. This is what you should be doing. But I am being very blatant that from a psychological point of view, um, from an academic point of view, from a research point of view, restriction is problematic. And it is an eating problem. And it is on the eating disorder spectrum. And most women I know have disordered eating, even if it's not an eating disorder. And because of this fixation with restriction, and I got to cut all these food groups in order to, to be healthier, to be thin, So I'm just calling it out once again that this is problematic. And if you fall on the spectrum of eating problems, there's a risk that it could escalate, right? So restriction is one eating problem. Another one is overcompensation. So let's say you overeat because you're a freaking human. And sometimes we overeat. How do you compensate? Do you try to fast the next day? That's something I did when I was very active in anorexia. And so I'm very concerned about the intermittent intermittent fasting trend Um, it sounds very orthorexic to me. It sounds like a high risk for anorexia, that type of restriction and focus on withholding food. Um, if I was doing that, I would consider myself relapsed. That's what I'll say. So you do you, I'm just here to educate that that overcompensation, I'm not going to eat the next day or I'm going to fast or I'm going to have to run nine miles. That's all related to kind of the eating problems. I'm going to cut out these kind of food groups and I got to cut weight, right? Another experience someone on the spectrum would have with eating problems would be loss of control. I feel like I have no control around food. And I'm going to argue that stems from the restriction or the lack of um, nutrition needs being met. So I'm going a bit more in depth into these than I was planning, but I'm, you know, I'm on a roll. I'm talking about my passion here. Weight concerns, body dissatisfaction, and eating problems. Those are the three features of an eating disorder, and all of us have them to a degree. So I think this is an important part of the education to fight the stigma, because stigma is so much an us versus them mentality. But when we step into this and recognize, holy crap, our culture completely normalizes eating disorders. And at the same time, we stigmatize the crap out of them and we blame the person for having them while not recognizing that the culture sets us up to all have disordered eating and a good percentage of us, millions, 30 million plus of us to develop a full-blown disorder that has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness. I hope that bothers you as much as it bothers me. So I told you I'd tell you some warning signs. Um, Again, I don't want to jump into all the specific types of disorders because we'll have to do those podcast by podcast. But let's say you know someone 
that you love and you're concerned. What do I do? What if they're showing signs? How do I talk to them about my concerns? So recognize that often those of us with an eating disorder are very protective of it. It is our best friend. It's our sense of control, worthiness, protection, lovability. Um, And there is serious fear for many of us. And so this is difficult and there is no perfect recommendation. But I want to encourage you to use love and try to remove the stigma. You don't want to blame them or use shame or coerce them or threaten them. Um, I want you to approach this with love and being caring, but you also have the right to be assertive and firm. You can care about them. We don't want them to manipulate you. Um, they're responsible for their own behaviors and the consequences of those actions. So we don't, we don't want you to go in saying, if you don't do this, you know, I'm never talking to you again. If you don't stop, remember it's a disease and try to not shame them into admitting their struggle or agreeing to treatment. Um, avoid making rules. Try not to make any promises or expectations that you can't keep and that won't be realistic. Um, like you don't have to promise you're not going to tell anyone. Or, yeah, something like, oh, if you do this again, I'll never talk to you. I don't think those are realistic or fair or, or considering, you know, if we compare a disease to a disease, would you say that to someone with cancer or diabetes? So watch out for that shame and stigma and coercion. Um, approach them with love. And let them know you want to be there for them. Uh Learn as much as you can. Say, hey, I heard this podcast and this chick is in recovery and she said these things. Um, And use that education as kind of a segue. And you can try to understand like, well, maybe this is them dieting. It doesn't necessarily mean they have a disorder. Like get really clear on what you want to approach with this person that you're concerned about. Um, Set a one-on-one time with them. Kind of going with a plan saying, hey, I want to talk to this person and just be honest, be loving. I'm concerned. I'm worried about you, dude. We don't want you to avoid it or to ignore it because that doesn't help. We don't want you coming in saying, hey, we're done unless you admit this to me right now. Like, this is a relationship skill of communicating, I love you, I'm concerned. Here are the things I see, here are the facts. You're restricting, you cut out increasing amounts of foods. You've dropped an alarming amount of weight. You're avoiding family functions. You're, you're commenting about other people's bodies. Whatever you see, use those facts because it takes away the shame of like, you know, you're, you're a horrible person and just saying, I see this. I am worried about how much time I've seen you go to the gym. I statements are always a really safe communication tool. They're not guaranteed. None of, this is, none of this is guaranteed. But when you focus on the behaviors, hey, I've noticed this, I've seen this, I've heard this, um, it, it reduces the likelihood that they're going to feel threatened, attacked, or accused, or defensive. And more, you're saying, here's my experience. I feel concerned. I'm worried because I've noticed X, Y, and Z. So those observations help you 
um, kind of stay objective. And I think I misspoke. I don't want you to focus overly um, on weight and food. Try to focus on other things as well. Not just, hey, you're not eating and you've lost a ton of weight. Um, I don't know if I said anything related to that. But it will be easier for them to kind of accept and to think about things that aren't food or weight related. So like, hey, I see you going to the gym a lot. Um, I'm kind of concerned. What's up? Let's talk about that. So don't just talk about food and don't just talk about weight, but maybe you can talk about the whole spectrum, body concerns, ruminations, their emotions, their relationships. Are they isolating or withdrawing? Um, and stick to the facts because it can be an emotional conversation. Um, be firm. You're allowed to be assertive. Watch out for that stigma. Like I said, Um, I know when I got confronted, uh, after I kind of threw myself out there to my family saying, Hey, you know, this is a problem. I definitely have an eating disorder. They, um, I got a couple negative, they, they offered me saying, Hey, we want to do X, Y, and Z. Sorry. I, I trying to remember and explain this well. Um, I had a very negative reaction and I want you to be prepared for a negative reaction. Sometimes people are super stoked and relieved and happy that someone's noticed that they're struggling and they want the help. Other times we're not. Other times we're protective and shut down and defensive. Um, They might minimize you or attack you. You cannot control the behavior, but just recognize you're coming from love. You love them. You are concerned and try to leave the conversation open. You cannot force anyone into recovery. You can't force a disease to stop, but you can say, I'm here. I care. I want to be a safe person for you to talk to. Um, and always getting help. We want to make therapy cool. It's, it's not this big, scary thing. Say, hey, I heard about this therapist. Go follow her on Instagram. Or like, check out this course. Or hey, we, I heard about this website called the nationaleatingdisorders.org. And there's all kinds of info in there. Like, let's, let's talk more about this. What do you think about looking into this? Um, There's a National Eating Disorders hotline that they can call. Um, These are all tools. There's no perfect fail-proof way. But I I do recommend kind of those things. What are some warning signs? Now, I could break down each eating disorder and talk about warning signs in general. But the earlier you can catch an eating disorder, you know, it's the more likely treatment's going to stick. If someone's been stuck in this for 30 years, that's 30 years we got to unwind instead of six months. Um, Full recovery is possible no matter what. So I don't want that to be a deterrent or to discourage you. Um, But just common symptoms of an eating disorder. Lots of attitudes and behaviors around weight loss, dieting, controlling food. I think that's not fair to say that. It's hard because diet culture is that way. So everyone kind of has those. But we want you to look on the severity. Is it causing distress in their life? Does it seem even more abnormal considering, you know, how normal diet culture is? Um, those are the kind of things I want you to look at. Are they, is it impairing their functioning? Are they obsessed with calories and carbs and fats and dieting and food and weight? Is there a preoccupation? Do they refuse certain foods? Um, Do they try to avoid eating around other people? Uh, Do you see them skipping meals or, you know, 
eating less and less? Um, are you seeing any new fad diets kind of popping up? Lots of dieting would be a concern. Big mood swings, um, that would be an important you know, indicator. And these are all just emotional and behavioral things. We're not even talking about physical. But of course, fluctuations in weight up and down. There's a big myth that says, you know, if you have an eating disorder, you're going to look emaciated. And that's just not true. Any body size can have an eating disorder. Big, small, it doesn't matter that you can have anorexia and be in a bigger body size. So you can still see these concerns regardless of the weight of the person. Um, if they have a hard time concentrating, uh, if they faint or super cold, um, dizziness, I mean, those might be signs that they've restricted and aren't getting enough food. Um, super dry skin or even like more hair on their body, um, fine hair kind of growing because they have a lack of nutrients. If they lose their period, um, if they're weak, teeth would be another sign. You know, if, if we've been purging a lot, cavities, discoloration of teeth, stuff like that. Um, I won't go into each disorder just for the sake of time, but I hope this is giving you some good ideas. Just opening your eyes to the world of eating disorders, helping you have a couple ideas on how to maybe look for the warning signs and what you can do. Um, in the future, we'll break this down further. I would love to talk more about anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, um, I'd love to talk about binge eating disorder, which is the most common eating disorder. Um, more than 13 million Americans are dealing with binge eating disorder. I'd love to talk about orthorexia, which we don't technically diagnose yet, but it is recognized on the spectrum of eating disorders. Um, it's an obsession with healthful eating. And, oh man, diet culture and wellness culture has super duper normalized orthorexia. So I'd love to talk more about that. Um, we'll break this all down in the future. I am going to be working on an eating disorder online course. That's not ready to go yet, so I'll keep you guys posted. But if you want more of my therapy thoughts, head over to mindfulcounselingschool.com. I have a few courses up there that might support your intention to have a great you know, relationship with your, your mind and your body and your relationship with food and have great mental health. Come follow me on Instagram. It's My handle is mindfulcounseling. Um, super stoked you're supporting the podcast. I'm excited to announce we'll be starting to interview other people. That'll probably happen in the fall. So stay tuned for that. We'll bring on other professionals and get their points of view on having great mental health. So thanks for tuning in, my friends. Um, as always, may you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.